Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Let us read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with you, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always preserve in supplication for all the saints. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When most people think about Marvel, they likely think about comic books and superheroes and exciting storylines. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I wasn't big into comic books, but my friends and my cousins were. So the books and the stories and the movies were always at least a side conversation. Now, when my kids started getting into Marvel, I decided that it was time for me to at least try to follow along. And it turns out I actually really enjoy the storylines. But I especially enjoy the character development, the transformation that takes place, and these bigger storylines that showcase the battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil and destruction. There always seems to be a Christian theme or a message in these movies. And that's true whether or not the writers or the actors or the directors know about it or even intended it to be there. And while my kids will tell you that I am just as easy to confuse Captain Marvel and Iron Man when they are in their human form, and I ask, according to them, quote-unquote, stupid questions, the truth is, is that I am completely drawn in to this deeper storyline that is at play. A story that takes everyday human beings and then a not-so-random encounter with forces beyond our human limitations and then results in the emergence of a superhuman transformation with newfound powers and abilities. And while none of us, unfortunately, are Captain Marvel or Black Panther or Captain America or the Hulk, all of us are, Scripture tells us, engaged in a real struggle. And in our passage, Paul tells us that our struggle is against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 
And just like the pre-superhuman version of each Marvel character, each of us have a human form in all of its ordinariness and weaknesses and frailties. And while we might not be able to fly or shoot webs or shrink ourselves down to the size of an ant, no short jokes, please. We have been given extraordinary power, and that's available to us, Paul says, by putting on the whole armor of God, which we're told that we need, in fact, if we want to withstand the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Though this piece of scripture that we're in likely isn't written by Paul himself, it is attributed to him. And as such, we are invited to explore this passage through the lens of Paul himself. We're invited to imagine the Paul who wrote this piece. We know that Paul was imprisoned by Rome. And we know that Paul, in fact, was even at times chained to a Roman soldier to prevent his escape. And I imagine Paul, day after day, staring at these soldiers, taking in their language and their customs and their mannerisms, observing their brutality. I imagine him taking in the armor that they are wearing. And amazingly, the Apostle Paul, while chained and imprisoned, instead of crafting words of anger and violence and revenge, Paul takes this image of the Roman soldier and he creates for us, he devises this beautiful and poetic and radical illustration detailing for us how Christians are meant to go into battle. Paul flips the art of soldiering on its head and gives us a new understanding of who our real enemies are and how we are to resist and withstand them and ultimately share in God's victory. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. It's been our passage. This is our final week in the Armor of God series. And one of the first things that we see Paul telling us is to be strong in the Lord. Now, the emphasis in this passage right here is on the Lord. It's not on our own strength, as we would like to believe. But we are to derive our strength. We are to absorb God's strength that has been given to us. And then Paul goes on and reminds us that our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood. How easy is it for all of us to forget this? Think about this for a second. Paul was imprisoned by Rome. Rome was the same worldly power that was responsible, at least in part, for Jesus' death. This is who imprisoned Paul. And still, this same Paul, knowing what they did to Christ and knowing what they were capable of doing to him, and no doubt empowered by God, 
is able to clearly note for the early church and for all of the generations that our struggle is not against even the humans, the flesh and blood that are carrying out the will of the worldly powers that are against God. Rather, our struggle is against the powers themselves. The word that Paul uses in this particular passage is cosmocrators. It, the word itself, it's a Greek word, it means world ruler. Could mean the devil and his demons, cosmocrators. This word isn't found anywhere else in scripture. But the word would have been known to Jews and Gentiles and Greeks because it was a word that was attributed to gods with a lowercase g, to magical powers, to astrological forces, to idols. Paul says that that is the enemy. These false gods, these, these otherworldly powers that are seeking to disrupt God's intent. And so Paul tells us then to put on the whole armor of God. Meaning that each and every piece of the armor has an essential function. And we need it all. We're not going to be prepared to withstand the enemy if we don't pay attention and dress ourselves accordingly every day. So how do we dress ourselves fully? Well, Pastor Rob has already described the first four pieces of armor. He taught us about the belt of truth that goes on first. In a world where truth is under assault daily, where misinformation is ripe to tear us all apart, the belt of truth goes on first. What do we know to be true and timeless about God, about God's love, about God's promises? for us and for all of creation, the belt of truth. Second, the breastplate of righteousness. Not one of us is righteous on our own accord. Each and every one of us is made right and whole through the perfect righteousness of Christ, the breastplate of righteousness right over our heart, right over our lungs and the very air that we breathe. Third, we're told to put on Shoes that make us ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. We have places to go, people to see, a message to share. We are not stationary disciples. And fourth, we take up the shield of faith. Christ's perfect faithfulness covers us fully. We can crouch behind that shield when our own faith wavers. It's a full body shield that this passage tells us will protect us from every flaming arrow. All of them, not just some. And today we're going to add the final two pieces of armor. The fifth piece is the helmet of salvation. Now, we know that helmets protect our heads. And inside our head is our brain. It's our central processing unit. And without a functioning brain, we know that our bodies can do very little. This is why we now go to great lengths to make sure our children understand the importance of wearing a helmet. Whether they're learning to ride a bike or a scooter or a skateboard, whether they're playing baseball or softball or hockey or lacrosse, 
We teach them that it is important for them to always wear a helmet and protect their heads. I'm a soccer player and a soccer mom. We have learned over the years the importance of concussion awareness. And so now every single season, before kids are allowed to take the field, both parents and athletes are required to go through annual concussion training because we know that one blow to the head could cause lifelong harm and damage. And so what does Paul equate the helmet to in this passage? He tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. Helmets are often the final piece of armor that a soldier puts on. The Roman helmet was known as the galia. And the helmet had various forms, sometimes of metal, sometimes of leather. And all helmets were individually constructed. And their main purpose was to protect soldiers from blows to the head, sometimes the neck, the face, and even the vision. To go without a helmet would be unthinkable because it would leave a soldier vulnerable to the enemy's most deadly blows. Which is why I believe Paul calls it the helmet of salvation. Our salvation protects us from even the enemy's most deadly blows. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul tells us to be saved is a gift. It can't be earned. It's given freely by God. But yet we have to choose to put it on. We have to choose to wear it in order to protect our minds and our thoughts and our vision and our functioning from the enemy's deadly blows. Helmets protect our head which in turn lead and guide and direct our bodies. Don't miss this. Scripture tells us that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. So our salvation in Christ protects not just us as individuals, but it protects the entire life of the church. Put on the helmet of salvation. Finally, Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword used by the Roman soldiers was known as a gladius. It was a short sword. It was compact and agile, and it was used to outsmart and outmaneuver the enemy. The gladius was in fact the dominant close combat weapon in the ancient world. It became known as the sword that conquered the world. Think about that. The gladius, known as the sword that conquered the ancient world, Paul is saying that that is the word of God. It's the weapon that we have at our disposal to combat the enemy, to overcome the world. Now, the gladius was sharpened on both sides, and the point was sharpened as well, which made it able to pierce armor. 
The gladius was designed to be used with one hand so that the, sh- the soldier could carry the shield, our shield of faith, in the other hand. We got our shield of faith and the word of God. The sword is the only offensive piece of armor that Paul mentions. The only one. The only item that could be used to pierce another. And yet, Paul quickly reminds us that he is not talking about a worldly weapon here. But he's telling us that our greatest offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the weapon that conquers the world. If we want to be able to withstand the enemy's attacks, if we want to be able to fight back, Paul is telling us what we have at our disposal. We must be willing to learn and to study and to put into practice the word of God. The same way that soldiers study and put into practice their own arms. We don't fight with worldly weapons. The scripture reminds us this, that our enemy, our greatest enemy, is not even a flesh and blood. But the Lord does not leave us defenseless or weaponless. We have the spirit, and we have the word, and we have each other. The letter to the Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, reminds us, it says that the word of God God is living and active, quote, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharper than any two-edged sword. The two-edged sword that conquered the world in the Roman time, we're told that the word of God is even sharper than that. That the armor and the weapons that God has designed for us will be more than suitable and capable for overcoming even the enemy's deadliest blows. And if you're worried that you're not a biblical scholar or you don't have scripture memorized, we need to remember what God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said. God said, I have put my words in your mouth and hidden you in the shadow of my hand, stretching out the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. I have put my words in your mouth and have hidden you in the shadow of my hand. The entire Christian story is not about our goodness or our striving or what we can do or what we can memorize or what we achieve. It is about what God in Christ has achieved for us and given us freely. And the word of God, we study it, and we put it into practice, because it reminds us of these deeper cosmic truths that we can easily forget in a world that is full of hate and division and brokenness. In a world where we are more easily and readily able to turn on each other than we are to turn towards one another and turn to God. One final thought as we close out this series. Soldiers do not fight alone. 
and neither should disciples. Most soldiers need help putting on their armor. They need training. They need accountability. They need daily discipline. And when in battle, soldiers will rely on each other for different capabilities and different strengths. They know how to close ranks, to fend off the enemy's attacks, to protect the whole, not just the one. And almost as vulnerable as a soldier without armor is the soldier who wanders off, who gets lost, who finds themselves detached from their unit, from the whole, from the group. That soldier, that disciple, is an easy target. And in fact, Scripture will tell us that the enemy is at work attempting to create those rifts and those breaks and those divisions. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to be isolated and alone and detached from the body of Christ where we find our strength and our source and our power. In a world ripe with misinformation and division, one that seems to be eating itself alive because of this, we, church, are called to remember our baptismal covenant. One that reminds us every single day that we belong not only to God, but to one another. And just like Marvel superheroes, each have different capabilities. Their true strength and potential is never fully realized until they come together to stand firm against the enemy's attacks. And the same is true for us as disciples and as the church. We are not an army of one, but we are the one true church of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Holy God, we just thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given to us. God, we thank you for our salvation in Christ. We thank you for the perfect faith of Jesus and for the righteousness, Lord, that he achieved and has given and covers us with. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that our enemies are not of flesh and blood. Help us, Lord, as often as we need to, to remember that truth. Help us, Lord, to put on your truth, your righteousness, shoes that take us where you need us to go. Help us to stand behind your faithfulness, Lord. And help us, Lord, to remember our salvation is in you and that you have given us your word and your spirit to do your work here on earth. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.